In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said that there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said that there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and that then serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and that then be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, and it was so. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said that the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God saw all that he has made, and it was very good. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
I, I read that it's like an overture to a great piece of music, don't you think? And the overture, when you read that entire chapter, is an overture all about God. I'll tell you, when you read it through, God is the subject of the very first sentence. God is the subject of the very last sentence. The only um, character in the entire chapter is God. God's name is used 35 times in just 34 verses. So I'll tell you, when I, as one who calls God my father, when I read this book, I hear God declaring to me, I always have been, I am. In the beginning, I made everything. Greg, I made you. You have been made to know me. So now I'm going to make myself known to you. So I just tell you, anytime I get a chance to talk about Genesis 1, I am so thrilled to talk about the God, my maker, and yours as well. And this, this morning we begin five weeks of messages about Genesis 1 through 3. Now, I'm thrilled about it. But at the same time, I've got to confess to you that I know that um, churches can be, have been, still are divided about a lot of things that are right here in Genesis 1. Did you know that? Uh, not, not so much about what it says to us about God, but much more about some of the things that we wish we had more information about how God actually did it and how long it took him to do it and when he actually did this making. So what's been happening over the past almost two months here at Lake Avenue Church is that we have been having a group of our church scientists, and we have a lot of you in this church. I'll just, I'll just tell you, gathered together uh, under the, the direction of Matt Barnes, who's given pastoral leadership to this group, and have been talking about many of these issues. Now, we have discovered something that if, if you've been here at Lake Avenue Church very long, I imagine that you know that this is true, but I'll tell you anyway that not everybody at Lake Avenue Church agrees about every detail of when God created and how long it took him. Do, do you believe me when I tell you that? We have parts of our brothers and sisters who are in our church who believe that it took God less than 10,000 years to do it, so the earth is only under 10,000 years old. We have a whole lot of others who say when they look at this world, the world that they look at looks like it's, oh, something like, 13.7 billion years old, give or take a year here or there, um, and everything in between, and, and yet all these people are committed followers of Jesus, and also they believe that the Bible is truthful in all that it teaches, so they disagree about that, and yet there's a oneness in Christ. Do you believe that that's possible? Amen. Well, not too many of you, not, not too, but it is possible, I, I want you to know. Now, these questions about how old the earth is, how long God took to create, are questions that, I mean, we're interested in. I'm very interested in them. But I don't think they're the most important questions of Genesis 1 through 3. So I've, I've decided we need to have a place where we can talk about those questions. I, I don't think that in a sermon where all the communication is one-directional, <laughs> is the best way to talk about these things. I, th I think that whenever we discuss things about how long it took him to do it and how old the earth is, we need some opportunities to talk back and forth. You need to be able to say, yes, but, right? So we've been thinking about how on earth do we do that? So we are going to be doing this over the next several weeks, trying to offer some settings here in our church to, to give us the opportunity to come and worship together 
and hear the things that all Christians have always agreed about and have God speak to us. And then also settings for us as God's people, united by faith in Christ, can come together and wrestle in a loving sort of way about these sorts of things that we disagree about. Um, so I think I need to start with that. What is it about Genesis 1 through 3 that all believers from the very beginning days of the church have agreed about? Well, I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll answer that in my own question. You go back to the Apostles' Creed. It goes back to the very earliest days of the church. And it really opens with this. And this is what the Apostles' Creed, Christians all over the world throughout history, have confessed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Do you believe in him? Then you're joined together with Christians throughout history and all over the world. Uh, a few centuries later, there were other disputes that came up. And there came a, a Nicene Creed that, that added a little bit to that. This is what the Nicene Creed said. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things, invisible and visible. I just get a sense that they thought, maybe some people thought there were some invisible things that God hadn't made. have to add that. What about our Lake Avenue Church Creed? <laughs> we call it our statement of faith. Let me show you what it is that we believe. We believe in one God, creator of all things, infinitely perfect and eternally existing. I'll tell you, followers of Jesus who, who believe that the Bible is God's truthful and authoritative word have always held to these basic things. It has tied us together as followers of Jesus. And I just say to you, what God has joined together, do not let disputable things tear apart. So as we deal with these things, I want us to make a commitment that this is what we all believe. Now we're going to have an enjoyable time learning from one another because I believe that together God can lead us into truth. So here is what we're going to do over these next number of weeks. We're going to have three what we call conversations. Uh, the first one is one that really I talked about uh, a number of months ago. Do any of you remember as we were going through the political year that it was a little bit challenging for us to walk together? Anybody remember that? Uh, and I promised to you that we would try to find some settings so that we could learn to talk with one another and about these kinds of things, about politics, race, and ethnicity. And this is going to be the beginning of that. Pastor Bill Mead is going to give some wonderful leadership to trying to help us to learn how to do what he calls empathetic listening. It sets the groundwork for those kinds of discussions and about faith and science. And I'll tell you, I don't know about you in this past week, I have felt we need that more than I've ever felt it before. It, don't you think it's been a challenging week as we've thought about what has come out of Washington, D.C.? Am I the only one who has felt that at all? On one side, I was rejoicing as our Vice President uh, Pence was there because I've always felt that how can we be at, at the uh, March for the Unborn Life? Because I've always felt, and you know this about me, that we cannot truly follow Jesus and support the taking of unborn human life. So I was rejoicing about that. And then other things happened that I didn't rejoice as much about. And I began to think we can't really follow Jesus and even support any kind of talk about torture being something that might be acceptable, torture of people made in the image of God, we'll be seeing that. And, and, and uh, even if we think it works, 
So I was, I was troubled there. And then I thought also, we, we, as followers of Jesus, cannot fail to welcome anybody who comes to Jesus, to welcome the stranger who is among us, to welcome the refugee, the, the immigrant among us. Um, and it just seems to me that as, as we've heard talk about these things, that I thought, Lord, as I follow you, and as we as your children follow you and in, in your kingdom, uh, it just seems like sometimes I don't fit in any of the parties or any of the places. And I suppose I shouldn't be surprised about that. So here as a church, we come together, and when we are so divided, we need to come together, seek the Lord together, follow him together, and pray that we'll be able to demonstrate to our world the ways of God and further the kingdom of God. I pray that these conversations will help us in that. So we'll have that first one, and then we'll come specifically back to this topic. February 19th, we're going to talk about the Bible and, and, and the language of the Bible and what it allows for us to understand about how old the Bible is. A good friend of mine, a great Old Testament scholar from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Dr. Richard Averbeck, will be here to help guide us. And then on the following week, we're going to have a group of our scientists come together in a panel, either led by Matt or by me, and talk about what they're seeing as followers of Jesus in the world that they keep studying and their calling as scientists. And in our worship gatherings... We're going to open up this word and seek to hear the main thing that God has always wanted his people to hear when they have opened the very opening to the Bible. And so today we're going to start right where the Bible starts in what it says about God. Are you ready to start there? Amen. All right, first. And this, this is why I wanted men to talk about this. God is taking us in Genesis 1 from wondering to knowing. From wondering about, is there an uncaused cause, is there a God, to actually knowing that there is. And it is that the God of the Bible is God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I want you to remember that when Moses, and I think Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. When, when he put this together, uh, his people... Let's, let's think after they came out of Egypt, they had been in slavery in Egypt for almost their entire lives. So they didn't really understand very much about God. They didn't have the scripture. They didn't have God revealed through Jesus as we have. So they must have had an understanding about God that would have been consistent with the culture that they grew up in, which would have been that there are many gods, or most likely that every nation and every people group had its own gods. And surely the Egyptian God, because they're such a powerful nation, had really powerful gods. And then in comes Moses to the Pharaoh as a, as a Jewish man, and he says, God has told me to, to let my people go. And the Pharaoh had no inclination to let his cheap workforce leave the country. Do you, do you remember that story? And so God sent plagues. The thing that many people don't know about those plagues is that each one of the plagues was directly confronting one of the gods of Egypt. In the sending of those plagues, God was declaring... Those things are not God. I and I alone am God. I'm the maker of those things. Then they went through the Red Sea. So here they go with a miracle of God. The Red Sea opens, they part on dry land, and then they saw the Egyptian soldiers coming through and they were swallowed up by the sea. Can't you imagine what they must have thought? What kind of God is this that we have? I mean, these Egyptian gods, we're a little nation. What kind of God is this, Moses? 
And can't you imagine with that question on their minds, Moses is opening his mouth and saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think they, like men, heard. I am, before there was a beginning, I have always been. All these other things in this world that people worship, they are not God's. I and I alone am God. There is no other. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Uh, Who made God? Uh, It's a question that children ask. It's a question that men ask. Who made God? Uh, It's the reason why I don't go down to children's Sunday school very often. They ask me these impossible, absolutely impossible questions. (laughs) But I'll tell you, in debates about the origins of the universe, that's the question we are asking. Um, How did everything actually begin? If matter, as many people think, that's the eternal thing, was it just random that two large pieces of matter clashed and somehow the sparks came that's, that started all of life. The question is, what is eternal matter or is there something else? And God opens his book by declaring that uncaused cause that you intuitively know must exist, I am. I mean, I, I read it and God is saying to us all, hey, deep down inside you sense that there has to be something in this world greater than you are. I am, and I'm ready to make myself known to you and to tell you what I'm like. That's what I read when I read. That's why I'm so thrilled when I read Genesis 1. And don't be fooled by the many, many people who say that all religions have an uncaused God who started the world. It's not true. Uh, Other accounts of the origins of the world and other religions begin in a different way. The Egyptian account where they live, the Akkadian account, the Babylonian account, are not creation stories at all. They're what we call theogenies. They tell us how the gods began, but not Genesis 1. Not Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, you heard it. In the beginning, God was already there. He always has been. The God of the Bible is God. There is no other. So the book of Genesis begins in the beginning. God, the one God, our God, created the heavens and the earth. Now, I've asked Matt to come up and talk to you about one of my favorite parts of Genesis 1. It was hard for me to give it up, Matt, but I'll turn it over to you as how this God reveals himself as one who takes us from chaos to order. Matt? Um, Thank you so much, Pastor Greg. And Just to take one step back, there's a slide that I'd like to show with a phone number on it. Can we show that slide? If you would like to receive some devotional materials that we're preparing to go along with this series, text your email to the number that's on the screen, or it will be available online beginning on Tuesday. So if you're interested or your small group would be interested in using some material that goes in line with this series, then please text your email address to that um, phone number. I'll receive that as an email, and I will make sure that your email address is added to the distribution list. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, there are two major ways that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And one of them is through the authoritative word of God, where we learn about him as we read its pages. The other way, of course, is that God has chosen to reveal himself to us through the world. We learn something about God as we look at his creation, do we not? 
In fact, my wife and I last night were looking at a painting hanging on our wall that was painted by a member here at Lake Avenue Church. And we were, we were asking ourselves, I wonder what, his name is Coco, I wonder what the painting says about Coco. And we started to look at it and imagine what the way that he painted, the, 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 the choice of colors, and all of the ways that he did. What does that say about him as a man? And it was a really fun conversation, and it got me thinking again about what does it say about God as we look at what he made? What can we learn about him? What are some of the things we can learn about him? Well, one, things that, one of the first things that we learn almost immediately is how God has imbued his creation with order. And not only that, but even the way he talks about his creation is imbued with order itself. Just like a master builder or a, or a great painter or an architect, God has ordered and, and constructed the way that he made this universe in a very specific way, an orderly fashion. We see this all throughout the Bible, but we see it in Genesis 1 in particular. If you look with me in verse 2, you'll see this, um, that, that, that the primordial earth was formless and empty and dark. Now, if you imagine again what Pastor Greg talked about with, with Moses talking about this with the ancient Israelites in the desert. Can you imagine their life and how chaotic and confusing it must have been? This, this must have resonated with them. The primor primordial earth was formless and empty and dark. It, it, was in, it was chaotic and it was in need of being filled and shaped. And in the rest of the chapter, we get a picture of God moving systematically, God creating systematically, bringing order out of that chaos, moving from chaos to order. And all of the words in Genesis 1 are carefully chosen to highlight that very fact, the orderliness of the cosmos. We see that in that days 1, 2, and 3, God creates realms or spaces for things, and then in, in days four, five, and six, he creates creatures or creations that will fill those spaces. Let me explain that a little bit more. On day one, God creates light and then separates light from darkness. The corresponding day is day four. On day four, he makes the sun, the moon, and the stars that inhabit the light and the dark. On day two, God creates the sky and the seas. And then on day five, the corresponding day, he creates the bird and the fish, the birds and the fish that inhabit that space. On day three, he creates the land and vegetation on the land. On day six, he creates land animals and humans that make those places their abode. So we even see in the way that he created this idea of structure and order. Then on day seven, of course, God rests, which is a reminder to us of as a living organism, we work and we rest. Plants work and rest. Animals work and rest. It's a, a law of our universe that God made. It's a rhythm. Work and rest. Work and rest. We see that rhythm in Genesis 1. And, and there's other things in Genesis 1 that point us to rhythm or order. Each day, each day of creation begins with, and God said. And each day ends with, and there was evening and there was morning. And God said, evening and morning. And God said, evening and morning. There's a rhythm to the way that God spoke about uh, to Moses, and Moses wrote about how everything was created. And there are, there are several times in Genesis 1 that we have important numbers showing up, and these numbers point us also to the orderliness of God's creation and the telling of his creation. And, and those numbers are 10, 7, and 3. Ten times we read the phrase that God said. Ten times we have God saying, let, as in let us, make mankind in our image or let there be light. 
Ten times we have the, the, the verb to make, and ten times we have the idea of according to their kind, which is a pointer to the orderliness of the universe. It would be quite odd if two birds reproduced and made a reptile, would it not? But that's not the kind of universe we live in. Seven times we see, and it was so. And seven times we see God saw that it was good or very good in Genesis 1. And then three times we have the phrase God blessed. Three times the general statement that God created, and then three times a more specific statement that God created men and women. Now, that's all well and good. But what does that mean about God? We said that Genesis 1 really reveals God to us or has, helps us know him. Well, what does it say about God that he imbued his creation with so much order? I think it says a lot, but here are a few of those things that, that stand out to me. It says that, that God is the one who holds back the chaos. God's the one who holds back the chaos. I think a lot of us feel like our universe is on the edge of entropy winning, to put it in sort of the technical phrase. But, but a lot of us feel like that, that the, the chaotic elements of our world are, are on the verge of winning. We're reminded by Paul in Colossians 1 that Jesus is before all things and that in him all things hold together. It's God who holds back the chaos. The fact that God is, has imbued his creation with order also reminds us that God is understandable to a certain degree and he's approachable. In Psalm 19, which was C.S. Lewis's favorite psalm, he said that it was very beautiful and it is, we read that the, the heavens declare the glory of God which is a signal to us that if we listen, we can hear something about God. We can learn something about him. He is understandable. And in Romans 1, Paul tells us that God has revealed himself through the natural order, which is a reminder that we can approach him. We can know something about him because of the way he ordered creation. It also tells us that he cares about his creation. Can you imagine a universe where cause and effect don't go together, where things are not predictable, where birds reproduce and they make reptiles, where, where, where you can't figure out anything and, and how to navigate that life well because nothing makes sense. That's not the world that we live in. We live in an ordered universe where, where basically, in most instances, cause and effect makes sense together, that things are predictable. When I turn on the light, the lights come on, unless I didn't pay the bill or something. You know, in general, our world is very predictable. And it, it allows for so much of our innovation and technology in that, very, in that very respect. It also says that God made his creation with so much order that he wants to be known. God wants to be known. Johannes Kepler, a famous astronomer and mathematician who came up with the laws of planetary motion, was writing a letter in response to a friend who had praised him for his work. And Kepler, in sort of a hashtag humble brag moment, said, well, I was merely thinking God's thoughts after him. <laughs> and and as, as we've met with a lot of scientists and mathematicians and phys physicists and others, they've said similar sorts of things. That as they do their work, as they do their research, they feel like they're thinking God's thoughts after him or they're understanding more about how and why God may have done something. God wants us to know him. And as we study his creation, as we adore it, as we value it, we can know him more and more. Now, what does it matter to us today that God created in such an orderly manner? Let me ask you a few questions, and I want you to try them on for size. Is there any chaos in your life? <laughs> That's an obvious one. Do you ever feel like you're on the brink of everything spiraling out of control? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're there right now. 
Are you ever confused about how to live life well? Someone said yes. Good for you. <laughs> Brave. Do you sometimes feel adrift and purposeless? I know that I, in one point in my life or another, has, can answer each of those things with an affirmative. Yes. Friends, the God of the universe, the one who spoke into existence everything in an orderly manner, he is here to help us. If we truly believe that he's the creator, then doesn't it follow that we should submit to him? Because he knows how best to navigate the stuff that he's made. <laughs> doesn't it follow if God made everything that he knows how to live well within it? So we should submit to him. Therefore, it's our duty as his creation, especially as followers of Jesus, that we should know him more. That means reading his word. That means submitting to his spirit who indwells us. That means surrounding ourselves with community who love him. And it means observing and honoring and valuing his created order, whether amateurly or professionally. <laughs> and, and as we get to know him more, we should begin to be changed by him. We should live in light of his creativity, in light of his order, in light of his everlasting love for us. And those kinds of changes in us could look something like this. Maybe we would be inspired to love the most vulnerable among us, to love the widows and the orphans, the unborn, those seeking asylum, the underprivileged and the forgotten. If we believe that we serve a God who created everything, then our lives should begin to look like that. that I needed to hear that when things seem to be chaotic and out of control, that when God is really the Lord of our lives and directing us, one of the things he always does is he starts to bring order out of chaos. Have you experienced that? I, I pray that you will today. I, I've got to come to the last point, but uh, thank you, Matt, for, for bringing that point to us. So we, we see that God reveals himself who takes us from wondering whether there is a God to knowing, who takes us in our lives when he comes in from chaos and disorder to, to starting to have shape and direction and purpose in our lives. Just for a moment, the last thing, and I think it's the most striking part of reading Genesis 1 when you think about the ancient world into which it was first written, and that is it takes us from thinking about God in an impersonal way to thinking about God in a relational way because he reveals himself to be a person who is distinct from anything in his creation. It is so striking for me when I read this because you've got to think when they were in, in, in Egypt, they kept hearing that God is the sun or that God is a river, impersonal. In, in our own world, sometimes we think have a naturalistic worldview, thinking that everything just started with, with, with the particles that, it, that erupted out of material, eternal material, clashing with one another. If we think about it that way, then what we have is a world that is meaningless. We just live these random lives where there's no real direction except trying to have as much, maybe as much fun as we possibly can have, and then death comes and it's over. But God breaks into this world, and all of the verbs in Genesis chapter 1, when you look at them, are, are verbs of personality. They show you that he had emotion and will and intellect, all those things, psychologists, that we talk about when we talk about personhood. And then we have this ongoing matter, and God said, and God said. God is just yelling out to us when we open up the Bible, I am not a what, I am a who. 
I am not an it. I am a you. <laughs> and what difference does that make? Well, a couple of things. It just changes the whole way you and I look at the world. It means that when you and I look at the world, we see our Father's world as we sing in that beautiful song. It means that we, we love it. And as we're going to be seeing next week, we have the ability to and a motivation to care for this world in which God has put us that he has created. And when it was the way he intended it to be, it was very good. It changes our worldview from everything just sort of being random and this world being something that comes and it goes and there's no purpose to it, to one that makes it possible for us to look at our world as our Father's creation, every part of it having purpose, that it is a purposed product of our personal God. Amen. Just changes everything, the way you look at everything in this world. And the other thing it does is it opens up the possibility that God is a person for you and me actually to have a relationship with our maker. Uh, when, when you think about the way God opened up his word, he, he really is saying, as I said earlier, I am ready to make myself known to you. I speak in a very personal way when I read Genesis 1. God is saying, here is who I am. I don't want you to be without knowing me. I'm going to make myself known. And I'll tell you, with that, it will begin, be a beginning of what we're going to be doing over the next five weeks. We're going to be seeing this personal God in Genesis 2. I'll just tip you off to this. Actually doing life with people. I love Genesis 2, and I look at that, walking and talking with God. And he really shows to us there that that's exactly what he intended us to do in our lives, to do life with God, to, to, to practice the presence of God. And then we think, why don't we do that? Why is it that we sort of intuitively know as human beings that there is a God, but we don't know him? And Genesis 3 talks about that too, doesn't it? That we've walked away from him. Something has to happen to, to provide the forgiveness and the renewed relationship to God, which is the whole gospel. That God came after us. Jesus, God's son, entered into this world to deal with what kept us from what we were made for. Namely, a relationship to God himself, knowing our creator. And through faith in him, the thing that keeps us from God can be taken away and we can be made alive to God. Hallelujah. I mean, it's all rooted in Genesis 1 through 3. Jesus came to make known to you the God who you were made to know. Do you know him? The Bible declares that when you place your faith in Jesus, you come alive, born again, you come alive to God. Do you know him? I better ask you this. Do you want to know him? Nobody answered. Do you want to know him? I'm baiting you here. I'm baiting you. That's, that's what I'm doing. Because I'm not sure that we really want to know this God. Because if you enter into a relationship with God, only one of you can be God. Have you thought about this? This is one of the reasons why people hold God at arm's length and aren't sure they really want to know this kind of a God. Because a God who can speak light into the darkness will speak into your life and command you too. You, you just know that. A God who in Genesis 1 keeps evaluating that's good and that's good and that's very good also knows what's not good and he knows what's not good in our lives. And so he has a moral call upon our lives. He'll change you and me. He calls us to live the way he would have us to live. If you enter into a relationship with God, only God can be God. 
And, and we don't like to relinquish control of our lives, right? It's one of the things that makes us the way that we are. So I'll tell you, I don't believe you can really live life as you were created to live until you bring your maker into your life. But then he must be God. And then I have to tell you this too. When you actually bring him into your life and you begin to live the way he calls you to live, it does not destroy your life. Anybody believe that? This is what Jesus was getting at in John 10. He was going back to this. I did not come to give my life to ruin yours. I have come to give you life, the life you were intended to have, life to the full. Every part of this world may promise to be an adequate God to give you life. Those things are not God's. Put them first in your life and you won't live. Bring God into your life and you begin to live. Amen. It is my tr testimony to you that that is true. I'll tell you that life with God found through faith in Jesus is life as the creator created you to live because you were made to know the God who created the heavens and the earth. You were made for him. Isn't that wonderful? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'll tell you, the God who did that is still at work, creating, recreating, taking things from chaos and disorder to order, how much we need him. He will recreate you. He will reshape you if you will let him, if you will trust in him if you will make the God who made you the God of your life through faith in Jesus, and your life will begin to bring glory to his name. May it be. Amen. Amen.